Father, we do thank You for this time tonight to come and worship You, Lord. We ask that You would, Lord, be honored in our midst. God, we ask that our hearts would just be ready to receive that which You have for us tonight, Lord. Kind of a hot weekend week, Lord, so far. And uh, I know that even in the building here, it's a little warmer than usual. But we're so thankful, Lord, that we can sit here in air conditioning and study Your Word together. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be uh, just receptive to Your Word tonight. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we'd like to continue and finish up tonight. This will be our last in the series on the subject of prayer, kind of finishing up our summer series on prayer. And uh, so we will be back in Deuteronomy next week. I know a lot of you have been excited about that. (laughs) But uh, tonight we're going to be talking about uh, prayers, promises. The promises that are in God's Word. These are the things that we build our prayer life around. We, we build our prayer life around the promises that God has made and given to us uh, as believers. This, one, this is what gives us the ability to pray with faith and confidence because we know we're praying in line with those truths and principles that He has revealed to us through the promises that He's made us in His Word. kind of like to break it up into three areas tonight. The first uh, thing that I want to talk about is that God is both able and willing. And we see this throughout the Word. God uh, declares in His Word that He is able to answer prayer, to work, to accomplish that which He desires, and He is willing. He wants to work. He desires to work and move in the heart and life of His people. Secondly, we can talk about the promises, the, the unique promises that God has made for those that he calls his disciples. And there is promises that Jesus gives to disciples. And then finally tonight, just the promise of a coming kingdom and how that really keeps our hearts looking forward in faith, even in times of difficulty. We know that God has promised a kingdom that is yet to come. So first, able and willing. God is able. Uh, we, we want to pray with God's omnipotence in view, that God is able to do anything. Genesis eighteen fourteen is anything too hard for the Lord. So this is where you start with prayer. You, must, you come to the recognition that, okay, nothing is impossible with God. This is where we start as we bring our requests. Now, if you have your Bibles, please open them with me to uh, the book of Jeremiah, chapter 32. Now, as we discuss the promises of God tonight, I'm going to have a, a, a bunch of passages, as you might expect. That's where the promises are found. They're found in, in the Word. So I'll have as, as much of them as I can up on the overhead, because uh, you won't be able to turn to them as fast as I'm going to be trying to fire them out at you. Uh, but we will spend some time here in Jeremiah, and then later in Isaiah. So there'll be some places you can track with me. But even still, I'm going to try and have most of these verses up on the overhead, because I, I want you to just be saturated in the promises of God from His Word tonight. Um, in Jeremiah chapter 32, uh, Jeremiah has prophesied and has been prophesying that Babylon is coming to capture Jerusalem and, and Judah. This is God's judgment coming on the people, and Jeremiah has been warning and prophesying and saying, look, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he's coming with his army. He's going to conquer this land. He's going to take you away captive. And uh, Babylon is going to rule uh, this city and this, this region. And with that in mind, um, the Lord has instructed Jeremiah to buy a plot of land 
from his cousin. And so you can understand how Jeremiah might be thinking, you know, Lord, you're getting ready. This land is getting ready to be under siege and conquered by a foreign country. Uh, this is not really the best time to be making real estate investments, you know, and I'm not sure that that's a good idea. But this is what God has told him to do, and he wants it to be something of a witness because God wants it to be established that there is coming a future in this land. Today, Babylon is coming, and there's a judgment. But I'm going to bring you back to this land, and there are going to be, uh, your people are going to be back in this land, buying land, uh, you know, living in the land, prospering in the land. And so as often God had his prophets, he had them actually kind of uh, go through a physical uh, exercise to demonstrate what he was trying to communicate to the nation. And this is one of those instances. He wants, he wants everyone to see Jeremiah is still willing to invest in this land because he knows that God is ultimately going to bring him back. So that's kind of the context And uh, this is where Jeremiah now begins to pray and ask God for this understanding. Lord, I'm not sure why you're having me do this. And pick it up there in verse uh, 17. Notice how Jeremiah begins his prayer. Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. This is a good place to start your prayer. This would be a good you know, kind of uh, passage just to put to memory. And when you come to God, let this be where you start. Lord, nothing is too hard for you. You have created all the heavens and the earth. I'm coming to you with my requests. I'm coming to you with my concerns. But let me state first off, Lord, you, you've created everything. Nothing is too difficult for you. You are God Almighty. Look what he says in verse 19. You are great in counsel, mighty in work. For your eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men, to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. God, you're great. God, you're, you're mighty in counsel and work. Look, verse 21 through 22. You have brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, and with great power. You have given them this land of which you swore to their fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. Without making any request, without asking God for anything just yet, he's declaring the greatness of God. He's, re- he's reminding his own heart. God didn't need to be reminded of these things. But Jeremiah's heart needed to be reminded of these things. He's making his own declaration of faith, his own proclamation of what he knows to be true about God. God, I'm coming to you with request. I'm coming to you with need. But as I come, I want to declare, first of all, that you are great and mighty and all-powerful. Because that puts my need now in perspective. God is able to work in your life. There is nothing, no circumstance, no situation that God cannot meet you in and work on your behalf and accomplish His good will and purpose. It's not too hard. It's not too late. It's not impossible. Because God is able And this is what Jeremiah says. And then in verse 26, he finally gets around to um, uh, kind of, uh, Lord, you're asking him about what's going to happen. Then the Lord, excuse me, then the Lord answered him. um, I'm sorry. um, uh, Verse 25. 
I got ahead of myself. Verse 25, this is what Jeremiah says. And you have said to me, O Lord God, buy the field for money and take witnesses, yet the city has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Chaldeans is another word for the Babylonians. So here's his, here's his prayer. He's been worshiping God, but here now he gets to his request. Lord, this is what you're asking me to do. Are you sure? Because you're asking me to buy this land when you've already told me to prophesy that the Chaldeans are coming to conquer this land. So now he's making his request after he's already established his confidence in the Lord. The Lord answers him, verse 26. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? So uh, he answers Jeremiah in verse 42. He, he, he lets Jeremiah know, Lord, listen, Jeremiah, you can trust me. Uh, even though this sounds like a crazy plan, trust me. And now verse 42, for thus says the Lord, just as I have bought, brought all this great calamity on this people, so I will bring on them all the good that I have promised them. So this is Jeremiah's kind of inquiry of the Lord. Lord, you've asked me to do something. It doesn't make sense, uh, you know, especially since you're the one that told me that the land is going to be conquered and taken captive. But Lord, at your hand, you're awesome, you're mighty, I will do this. But Lord, did I hear you right? And the Lord says, Jeremiah, don't trouble yourself. I can do all things. Yes, I'm taking this people out of the land, but I will be bringing them back. And your purchasing this land is a testimony and a sign that I'm not finished with this people, I'm not finished with this city, I'm not finished with my promises concerning uh, this nation. So, God working through Jeremiah, but just Jeremiah's model there is what I really wanted you to see, that Jeremiah kept in view who he was praying to, who it was that he was calling upon. Uh, you don't need to turn to this. I, I've quoted this to you before out of Second Chronicles chapter 14, King Asa. So we're just kind of moving through some examples here. Second uh, Chronicles 14, verse 9, um, uh, Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them, against the nation of Israel, with an army of a million men and 300 chariots. And he came to Merishah. So Asa, who was the king of Israel at that time, went out against him. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you. And in your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Just another example of the right perspective in prayer. Asa has an army of just a little over 500,000 men. He's now going out to battle uh, two-to-one odds against an, a, a million-man Ethiopian army along with hundreds and hundreds of chariots. And so, as he goes out to battle, he prays, God, it is nothing for you. The numbers do not matter. The odds, the circumstance, you can deliver with many, a big army, or you can deliver us with just you know, a two-to-one odds army. You ultimately are in control, and we're asking you to take care of us in this situation. Don't let the enemy triumph over your people. God moves. God gives them victory, a a miraculous victory. But we see again Ace's heart, 
his understanding. God is able. If he just, if he just counted the numbers, he'd have never gone out to battle. If he had just considered the circumstance, it would have overwhelmed him. You know, it's easy to pray when you have all the odds in your favor. But when it's stacked against you, and oftentimes it is, even in your own circumstances, things that you're facing in your own life, things that are difficult, you don't know how it's going to work out. I can't see a way that, it's going to make, that I'm going to make it. But God, nothing is impossible with you. You can deliver, Lord, with many, with few. Lord, accomplish your will in my life. I'm surrendering it to you. I'm looking to you. I'm trusting you. You are able. I pray to a God that is able and capable of answering prayer. King David, another example in Psalm chapter 8, verse 3. David says this, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. David would often meditate on just the, the, the wonder of creation. That's not a bad uh, you know, practice. Uh, we live kind of in the you know, city, suburb, urban, kind of we don't see the stars as much as we'd like to. Maybe some of you, when you get out to the desert or you get up in the mountains, you see them. Uh, we, we kind of just live in our own little, you know, suburbia. But, you know, there's a big universe out there, and there's a wonderful creator that has made it all. The Bible says that he calls the stars by name. Now, we, and scientists, we, we can't even begin to number them. We don't even, we can't even put a number on them. But God, not only does he know, he know the number, he knows the names. And he says that he measures the span of the universe by the span of his hand. He spans out his hand across the universe. He created it all from nothing. He spoke it into existence. This is why the psalmist said, I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. It's good to remember that God is able. He's mighty. He's powerful. Nothing is too difficult for Him. Oftentimes we carry our burdens uh, and we we stew and kind of meditate on them and the problem, uh, not focusing on the Lord's ability, not thinking about God so much. We're thinking about the circumstance, the situation, and it grows and grows and grows in our mind. And then when we come to God, we imagine, you know, oh God, look, I know it's too big even for you. Look how you know horrible this is. And we imagine that somehow God is intimidated in the same way that we are because we've been stressing and worrying. So we need to, we need to think less on the circumstance and consider more the God who made the heavens and with the work of His fingers, the moon and the stars which He has ordained, the God of all creation. And I like what Pastor Chuck says on this, we are so weighed down with the problem that we have forgotten we are talking with the One who created the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything that is in them. It is good to know that we come to a God who is truly capable, truly capable of meeting us and helping us in any situation and circumstance. Not only is He able, but I want you to know that He is willing. God wants to work in your life. This may be the harder thing to accept in your heart. I know it is for me. You know, if you were to ask me, is anything impossible for God, my, my automatic response is, well, no. God, nothing is impossible with God. He truly, He's God. He can do anything. But does He want to? Does He want to help? Will He help? I know He can. I know He's able. But is He willing to work even in the details of my struggle and my situation? Some verses to give you a promise in your heart. Second Chronicles 
a promise given to this same King Asa that we looked at earlier. Second Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to Him. Not only is God willing, God is looking. God is wanting to work. He's looking for a heart that will be trusting. He's looking for a heart that is in line with His. He's looking for that heart that believes and and will walk by faith and walk in His counsel and trust Him. God's looking for that loyal heart. And in that, God wants to show Himself strong. God wants to kind of, you know, show off. And not in a vain kind of way that we think, but just looking to, you know, show Himself strong. Stand back and see the glory of God. Be still and know that I am God. Trust me. Come to me. I want to help. I want to hear. I want you to to cast your cares upon me because I'm willing to work and help. Jesus would say in Luke 12.32, Do not fear, little flock, uh, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God wants to establish His kingdom in and through your life. You know, sometimes we imagine that God is this kind of reluctant Father. You know, and He's kind of aloof. And we have to somehow plead and beg and and really try hard to get His attention and beg, oh God, please help me, you know. And, and, you know, God is like, well, I don't know. You know, I'm busy, you know, and... uh, but if you cry and plead long enough and, you know, sincere enough, maybe I'll throw a morsel towards you, you know. Maybe I'll give you a little help. Okay, now now go on. Get, get away. <clears throat> and we imagine the Lord, but that's not the heart of the Lord. The Lord's looking. His eyes are searching. He's just waiting for you to turn to Him. He's waiting for you to trust Him. He's really waiting for you to cry out to Him. But here's what happens. So often we're, He's looking for that heart that's loyal, but our heart's not loyal. We're too busy managing it in our own strength. We're not thinking about God. We're just scheming and trying to work it out and do everything. And He's he's somewhere in the back burner of our mind. He's looking. He's waiting. Turn your heart. Where's that loyal heart? Where's that trusting heart? Where's that cry and dependence upon me? And the moment you do, God is there. He's already been looking for you. You don't have to go find Him. He's waiting for you to turn to Him because it's it's His desire to help and bless. Philippians 2.13 For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do, for His good pleasure. God is working in you, encouraging your will, aligning your will with His. God wants to work. God wants to minister. God wants to use your life for His glory. This is on His heart, even tonight. He's very, very interested in your life. When we consider God's ability, when we consider His willingness to bless us and answer our prayer, this should encourage us to pray with great faith and assurance. Secondly, tonight I want to talk about some of the promises that God has made, specifically for His disciples. They are pretty outstanding, pretty uh, over the top when we read these. And uh, yet, these are the words of Jesus Himself. Matthew 18, verse 18. Assuredly, I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them 
by my Father in heaven. Wow, that sounds pretty, you know, encouraging. God is really giving a promise here. Anything, what you bind on earth, what you, what you pray for here, God is moving in the heavens. Two or more, that idea of unified faith as people come together and pray. Mark eleven twenty three verse 20 and 24. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Jesus is simply encouraging, when you pray, believe in faith that God is answering and working. And you will have those things that you pray for. Now I know there's been some misuse of these passages. These passages have been kind of taken out of context and used as kind of, you know, genie in the bottle. I got God to do whatever I want Him to do. He's at my beck and command and abracadabra. Okay, God, make this happen. I'm calling this into existence by faith. And that's not really the spirit of what Jesus is saying, and we'll, we'll consider remembering who these promises are made to. These are not pay, made to self-seeking, you know, uh, greedy, you know, self-centered individuals wanting to have God just give them whatever they want. But this is, these are promises made to disciples, those whose hearts are surrendered and walking in obedience to Christ. But let us not lose, let us not explain away the strength of these promises, okay? You know, there's a pendulum in a lot of doctrinal issues, and you can, you can swing into an extreme on either, either end. Some have kind of taken faith and turned it into something that really isn't biblical. It's become this, you know, positive confession, mind over matter, positive thinking. I can have whatever I want. So long as I get the prayer formula and faith formula right, God's obligated to do whatever I desire. That's an extreme of faith. But then there's another extreme that kind of coils back from that and and gets into this place where, you know, you you don't ask for anything in faith. Because I don't know if it's God's will, so I don't want to believe. I I can't believe. Who knows what God's going to do? We don't know what His will is. So, you know, God, just do what you're going to do, and we'll just try to make do. And that's kind of, you know, that's not what these passages are teaching at all. That's, that's the other extreme, you know, kind of not wanting to presume in faith, to, so then we don't have any faith. Well, Jesus is saying, listen, God's with you. You need something, you ask. You pray in faith, you pray believing, and God will accomplish these things. God is waiting for you to ask and, and make requests of Him. John fourteen thirteen. Whatever you ask in my name, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now that's a key point. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. That's the motive for your asking. If you ask anything in my name, that is to glorify Christ, I will do it. John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. John 16:23 And in that day you will ask me nothing most assuredly I say to you whatever you ask the father in my name he will give you until now you have asked nothing in my name ask and you will receive that your joy may be full These are wonderful promises to the disciples of Jesus Christ 
I mean, that is... To get that kind of an invitation to pray and ask from Jesus Christ Himself, I mean, we ought to be lining up. Oh, wow, this is... You know, God is just waiting for us to ask and pray and seek Him in prayer. He's wanting and willing to work, and Jesus has made promise that He will. But... Let's balance it. Who are these promises made to? They are made to His disciples. And who is a disciple? Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to His disciples, If anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. So this is where these these thoughts come together. Jesus is making promise to His disciples. Ask. Listen, believer. Listen, disciple. Ask Me what you need. But here's here's what's already going on in your heart as a disciple. You have already surrendered your heart to Me. You see, Jesus is confident that your asking is going to be in line with His heart because you are linked with Him. You've surrendered to Him. You're following Christ. Jesus is saying, ask those things that you need to accomplish that which I've called you to do. When you are walking in step with me, when you're living the life I've called you to live, then you you should be expecting me to be there for you when you need things. I will take care of you in in circumstances and in trial. I I will meet you in that situation where you're trying to bring the gospel into a, you know, in a mission field. I will work in your family if you're trying truly to cry out and God save my home, save my marriage, work in my life, Lord, work in this workplace. Those are the kinds of requests that are made of disciples, those that have surrendered their life. They've denied themselves. This is not some self-seeking request. You see, James would say that. He would say, you know, the reason you don't have things is because you don't ask. But you know why sometimes you ask and you don't receive? Because you don't ask with right motives. You ask for selfish reasons that you might spend it on it upon yourself. That's not a disciple of Christ. So you have to be in line with Christ. Your heart has to be surrendered and looking to have His will fulfilled in your life. And in that person, ask. If you're lacking something, it may be that you've simply not made requests. Or maybe you've not believed it. Maybe you've sent some feeble prayer up. Lord, I know you're probably not going to do this, and it's impossible, and it won't happen, but I, you won't be able to say I didn't pray, so Lord, please do this. All right, now I'm, you know, I'm kind of animating it a little bit, but you know how your, our hearts are sometimes. We pray very um, weak in our faith. Now, God is encouraging us to ask. Ask believing. Bring heaven's resources into the work of the kingdom that God has entrusted to you. Not for selfish purposes, not for greedy gain or showing off or some carnal you know, desire, but for the things that you know you need to serve the Lord and fulfill what He's called you to do. And there are things that you know God wants to do. There are things you know absolutely that He wants to do in your life. Changes that He wants to make. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction, a bondage. And you don't believe it can change. You don't think it's ever going to change. Pray believing that God can break the power of sin over your life. The promises of God's Word are that sin shall not be master over you. God, Jesus has broken that power. That's a prayer we need to pray in faith, believing and trusting 
and then let God go to work in transforming our life from the inside out. Praying and faith for the disciple. These promises are rich. They are really um, almost overwhelming. And so we learn to balance our heart as a disciple, what he wants to do. We, we surrender our prayers, Lord, if it be your will. We recognize that even some of my well-thought and well-meaning prayers may not be consistent with what God wants to do. So I still surrender it to him. But I'm believing that God wants to work. And I'm believing that God is interested in moving in my life and through my life. And I'm praying in faith. When we deny ourselves, our flesh, our self-seeking, and align ourselves with God in following Christ, these prayer promises are ours. Again, I'll quote Pastor Chuck, Only by denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus Christ, do you receive access to the powerful promises of God regarding your prayers. Finally tonight, I want to talk to you about a coming kingdom. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, as Jesus taught taught us to pray your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven jesus taught his disciples to ask for the kingdom and to ask for his will to ultimately be done upon the earth the fact that you are asking for god's kingdom to come is in itself an understanding that the kingdom is not yet here We wouldn't need to be asking for something to come if it were already here. We're asking for God's kingdom to come because on the earth today, His kingdom has not yet come. His kingdom lives and dwells in the hearts of His people. It's a spiritual kingdom. It exists in the hearts of those that love Him and that are are transformed by Christ. It exists in the heart of the church as we represent salt and light in a darkened world. But the world, for the most part, is not living the kingdom of God, not anything what God ultimately has, has planned, nor it's not what God originally had planned. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, when God made, when God made heaven and earth, and He put man in the garden and created everything the way He did, the Lord looked and He said what? It is good. Things were perfect. Things were right. And then sin came. Adam and Eve fell The creation itself came under curse. Man came under the curse of death, sin and death. And everything changed. And the earth that we now live in is not the one God originally designed. It's not the the kingdom experience that God ultimately has planned. And I think this is something very important for us as Christians, to keep that in our hearts. Because you know what? Things are getting a little crazy in our world. Things are getting a little crazy in our culture. Morality is being redefined in our time. There are wars and rumors of wars. I mean, we've just come out of two wars, and now it looks like there's some military action on the horizon. I mean, right there, centered around the Middle East, so much prophecy kind of aligning. I mean, these are troubling times. And if we didn't have the promise of the kingdom, that which God has planned for us in the future, you know, we could, our hearts could fail us because of fear. The Bible says that things are going to get that way, that men's hearts will fail them because of fear. But for the believer, we have a promise in our heart concerning the kingdom of God and what God is ultimately bringing. And so that when we see these things, we have enough warning from the Scripture to know that these are the things that must take place. 
These things do not overwhelm us. We recognize these are merely signs of what's of you know God finishing up His business on the earth, letting this this uh, rebellion play out while He goes about saving citizens for the future kingdom. This is the work that He's up to while the world continues to decline. Your kingdom come, Lord. We acknowledge His kingdom needs to come, and that because of sin, it. We live in this fallen situation. It's brought upon the world all the sorrow, misery, pain, and death that we currently see today. Romans 8, 21. The creation itself is longing for this future kingdom, this future redemptive work. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Even the earth itself, and we don't completely understand uh, the transformation that will come. We get glimpses in the scripture. We can kind of remember the Garden of Eden. And we see something of how God originally planned things. And the perfection of the creation and the ease in which you know, man was cared for and the beauty of all that God had made. And so we know that now this creation is, is really become subject to this, this judgment for sin. And But the creation itself is longing for that coming kingdom, for God to restore things back to the way He ultimately had planned. And that is possible, of course, because Jesus Christ has redeemed. Not only men, but the earth and all things. Jesus Christ has paid the price for sin. Sin is the enemy. Sin is what keeps you know, the, the, the earth and all of mankind in this misery, in this despair, in the evil and the pain, all the things that we, we see going on. In the, it is sin that has brought these things to bear. Jesus Christ has dealt a death blow to sin at the cross and His resurrection, and through Him and faith in Him, we experience that personal transformation, that forgiveness of sin, that fellowship with God. But we still live in this sinful world. And we know Peter told us that the reason God waits to redeem the rest of the world is because He wants to give opportunity for more people to come to faith in Christ. He is waiting for all the citizens of that future kingdom to turn their heart and faith to Christ. And so he tarries. Aren't you thankful that he tarried long enough for you? Aren't you glad that he didn't come just before you came to faith in Christ? I'm so thankful that the Lord waits, but I know that the waiting will not last forever. There is a future kingdom where Christ is promised to rule and reign. Of his kingdom, the Bible says, there shall be no end some passages concerning the promises of the future kingdom. Again, I've got a bunch of them. I'll just shoot them, shoot them back, shoot them up there for you. Philippians 2.10 That at that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow Just making sure they're up there. Of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That day is coming where every tongue, every knee will surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Psalm 2, verse 7 and 8. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my Son. 
Today I have begotten you, ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Revelation eleven fifteen. The kingdom of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. There is a promise of a coming kingdom. All that we see is ultimately going to be under the rule of Jesus Christ. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. The nations will be given to him as an inheritance because he has purchased the earth back through his sacrifice at the cross. He is worthy to open the scroll and to receive these things back unto himself. Not only is this coming kingdom where Jesus will rule and reign, but his saints will rule with him. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 27. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So we don't understand how God will do this, but we know that Jesus will rule, and the saints, those believers, you and I, we will rule with him. We will be reigning with Christ in this future kingdom. It is a glorious kingdom. Just, again, we don't know all that it will entail, but we have a few glimpses. And I think I'll have these for you. You won't have to turn, but if you wanted to, we're going to be looking in the book of Isaiah for a little bit. Uh, These are passages that have not yet been fulfilled, and we believe these speak of the future kingdom wherein Christ will be reigning upon the earth. The wolf shall lay down with the lamb. The lion and calf shall be led by a child. The child will play near the cobra. They shall not hurt or destroy. The knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth. This is that that which the creation itself is crying out for. This work of redemption that God is planning for all of creation. The, The animosity between even the animal kingdom, that will be gone. There will be no more fear. There will be no more uh, hurt or or destruction. Even a child will be, you know, leading a lion and a calf out together in the field. You get the imagery of what God is planning. Isaiah 35, verses 5 through 7. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf, deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of jackals where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. This future kingdom, there will be no blindness. There will be no death. There will be no lame. There will be no physical impairment. It will be this beautiful kingdom that God has planned. There will be no, you know, the, the things that we see today in the earth, the shortages of water, the droughts, the famines, the earthquakes, the pestilence that are currently, you know, uh, all over the earth that we see on a regular basis. That's not what God had originally planned. That's not what the future kingdom will look like. It's going to be this beautiful, lush, vibrant uh, place of health and well-being. The knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth. Isaiah 35, verse 10. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads, 
They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. The promise of a future kingdom. This is why we pray, even today, with faith and hope. Because I know that no matter how difficult things become, no matter how troubling things are, even in our own country, our own community, our own homes and lives, that God is ultimately bringing His kingdom. And so my prayers today are, Lord, help me to manage what you've called me to do here now. Help me to be faithful as a steward. But Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. My heart, my faith, my confidence is in the promise of a future kingdom. These things, these struggles, they will not last forever. The trial that you're in right now, it will not last forever. You may see relief even in this life. In some cases, you know, as our bodies grow older and certain ailments begin to come on, and, you know, we may have to wait for those resurrected bodies that we can enjoy with the Lord in the new kingdom. But God will have His day. The grave has lost its victory, and death has lost its sting. God is ultimately planning good things for His children, good things for us, and this should encourage prayer, this should encourage walking in faith with Him and a heart filled with hope and joy. And the question that I think we have to all ask is, are we ready? Are you ready to meet the Lord? Are you ready to walk with Him? Are you ready to be a man, a woman of faith, and walk in those things that God has called you for? You are here for such a time as this. A time to walk in fruitfulness and and power from the Holy Spirit. To be a witness for Him. To be faithful with those things that He would entrust you. A life, Jesus said, more abundant. Ask what you need. What do you need? What are you lacking? Where, where is your spiritual life suffering? Where are you struggling? What's happening? Pray, ask, believe, trust God. Walk with Him through that trial and God, you will see God begin to work. You begin to see God bring you out on the other side. Don't get discouraged. Don't grow weary in well-doing. There's a kingdom coming. There's a kingdom coming. Keep looking for it. That's why Jesus said at the very beginning of the... When you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. That's the first thing we should be asking for. I usually jump to, Lord, give me today my daily bread. (laughs) But the first thing I should be saying is, Lord, thy kingdom come. Lord, give me that perspective, Lord. Keep my heart balanced by the promises that I have. Your word is true. You're dependable, Lord. You're faithful. You're a God that is able and willing to work in my life. You are a God that has made precious and magnificent promises available to me if I will walk with you as a true disciple. And Lord, there's a kingdom. There's a kingdom that you have planned and it's coming. And I want to long for that and look for that and live for that in my heart with that perspective, trusting you all the way. Let's pray now. Father, we do thank you for the promises that You have made. God, we we looked at a number of verses, but Lord, we just scratched the surface. We just barely took a glimpse at the promises that You have made for Your people. I pray that our hearts would be encouraged tonight, God. Encouraged to pray. There's so many good promises that we 
we need to get busy praying for. Lord, there's so much that I believe you want to do in our lives, even now, as you prepare us, as you work towards the coming kingdom. And I pray tonight, Lord, that we would be ready. Jesus, there were times when in those days that you walked the earth, where you pondered the question, will the Son of Man find faith when he returns? Lord, we know that faith is being challenged now, that our ability to believe gets somewhat overwhelmed by trial and difficulty, struggle. Lord, I know tonight there are many that are struggling financially, and they're wondering, God, how they're going to make it, how they're going to survive it. Lord, I pray that you would meet their hearts tonight. I know many are struggling physically, God, with physical ailments, their bodies weak and sick, and in some cases, Lord, life-threatening. Lord, I know there are many struggling emotionally, just discouraged, depressed, overwhelmed. Lord, the needs abound. But Lord, I would, I would pray for us tonight as a people that we would not let these circumstances rule our lives. That we would not let these difficulties steal away the faith that you're calling us to tonight in prayer. Lord, we will have tribulation in this, this life. Lord, there's no... The, the kingdom that, that we read about, it, it's not available in this life. The true blessing, the true fullness of what we ultimately all long for, Lord. We're just like the creation. We're longing. We're crying out for it. But Lord, it can't, we can't have all of that until your kingdom comes, until Jesus comes and sets the earth right. But Lord, help us to walk in faith in the meantime, to be diligent as pilgrims here for the time that you have us. To trust you, Lord, you do work, you do deliver, you do heal, you do accomplish things in our lives that are miraculous. Lord, as we surrender our hearts to you as disciples, we have such wonderful confidence tonight that you're wanting to hear our requests and to answer them. As our heads are bowed and just finishing tonight, I I do want to give an opportunity. If you're here tonight and you do not have a relationship with the Lord, It may be that you've prayed from time to time in in your life, but you've not really understood the relationship piece that God desires. He wants your prayers, but He wants, first of all, your heart, your life surrendered. He wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants you to have a meaningful personal walk with Him in love and truth. By putting your trust and faith in Christ, receiving forgiveness, then the prayer life flows. Then that request and God moving and working in your life begins. Readying yourself as a disciple, readying yourself for the coming kingdom that He has planned. If you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord and He's speaking to you and you'd like to receive Jesus as your Savior, I'd love to pray for you. Maybe you need to come back to the Lord, rededicate your heart tonight. I would again love to pray for you tonight. 